Good evening to all of you, adults included. Um, it's good to see all of you here tonight, and I trust you all had a terrific day. Even if it was rainy, I'm kind of a rainy day person. Um, I don't know what it is about rainy days, but I kind of enjoy them um, for something different. I wouldn't want them all the time, but uh, there's something enjoyable about being or seeing the rain. I wanted to say something the other evening. Um, I was warned by one of your younger church members that uh, this church can be pretty loud because of all of the children, and I assured them that I was accustomed to loud children and lots of noise. Um, We have lots of children at Pleasant Valley as well, so I'm used to having to yell pretty loud (laughs) to be heard over the, the din of the children. So I hope that if you're here tonight and your children are a little loud, or if you've been here the last couple of evenings and they've been kind of loud, I hope you don't feel bad about that. Um, I'm used to it, so you don't need to to feel bad about it. A couple of years ago, um, this was shortly after I graduated from high school. Uh, I guess it wasn't a couple of years ago. Um, A little while ago, um, I was working in construction, and... I worked for a company called Ames Construction down in Ephrata doing commercial construction. And one winter, we were kind of slow, so we got subbed out to different companies. And I was one of the unfortunate people who was sent to high concrete um, close to Denver to work for a couple of days. And I just remember I, I went there the first day, and we met with this guy, and he took us through this maze of buildings, so we finally came to this building way out back, and he stuck us in there, and then after he put us there, he's like, yeah, I put you here because I don't want the safety people to find you, and I was like, what do you mean, like, the safety people? He's like, well, they're, um, like, the people who are making sure that everybody's staying safe and everything else. He's like, I don't want them to know that you're back here because I'm pretty sure they won't be real happy, so I was like, okay, Um, so it didn't really set me at ease, but anyway, he told us that he wanted us to work on these forms that they were making for a building that they were replacing the, uh, there's like this decorative trim at the top, I guess it was a historic building, and they were the company that was making these pieces of concrete that they were going to stick back up there to replace this trim. And so it was a historic building, and apparently it had some really fancy details. So we were supposed to make this form that they were going to pour concrete into, and make these pieces of precast concrete that they were going to put up onto this building. Well, it was kind of difficult for me to really understand what we were doing. We took these huge pieces of plywood and we were cutting them down and we had this print that we followed and we put pieces of wood in here and there and everywhere else. And the interesting thing was, I think we worked on it for about two or three days before he finally came and really explained what they were going to actually do with it. So for about two days we were working on this form and we didn't really even... Um, understand what they were going to do with it or what we were even supposed to um, be doing exactly. But he told us, you're making this form, we're going to put it together, and we actually were working on a couple different pieces. And he said, when we put this together, it's going to create this unit that we'll be able to put the concrete into, and when it's done, it'll look like the piece that we want it to be. So we spent about three or four days working on this form that they were going to use um, to build this a piece of concrete. Now, my children's meeting was intentionally structured to go along with my sermon tonight. When the concrete went into that form, 
it became like the form that it was put into. In other words, every piece of trim that we put into there, every little piece of detail, when the concrete went into there, it flowed to a point, and every time it hit something that um, told it to stop, it stopped there and it took on the form of that piece of, of wood that we had built. Now, when you take a piece of Play-Doh or a piece of clay and you shape it and mold it into something, it becomes whatever you want it to be. And you get to choose what you want it to look like. My children have this nifty little Play-Doh contraption that my wife picked up somewhere that you put Play-Doh into it and you push down on this handle and there's like this little spout out the front and you can put different things on the front of it and whatever you put on the front, when that Play-Doh comes through there, it looks exactly like the shape that you had put that you put onto it. Um, I'm kind of fascinated with molds. Uh, a couple of years ago, we were working out in out close to Columbia, and we went out for lunch. We went to this restaurant right out along the river, um, the Wright Restaurant or something like that. Anyway, it's in an old foundry, and so inside that foundry, they had a number of the old cast that they would have used, the old molds that they would have used when they made different things there in the foundry. And it was really fascinating to me looking at all of those different things and the objects that they wanted to make and the work that they went to to create those things. But all of those things had molds and they took on the shape of whatever those people wanted. Today we live in the world and we are surrounded by a lot of forces that are pushing on us. Forces from the world that are attempting to shape us into something. And the world and its voices have a certain amount of pull on us as, as human beings because of our physical side and our carnal nature. But the voices of the world and the forces that are out there are attempting to push us into a mold that shapes us into something that Christ doesn't want us to become. Satan tries to, um, to force us to take on the look of everybody else around us. And the world today has a method and a way of pushing us, and specifically, I believe one of the biggest ways that the world is, is trying to force us into their way of thinking it's through shaming us into, into thinking the way that they think. In other words, when you meet people who think differently than what you do, the world says you need to shame them into believing the same thing that you do or to shame them into thinking the same way that you do. And it's a, it's a method that people use to try to force us into thinking the way that they think and into making us look the way that the world wants us to look. I'd like to use a couple of very familiar verses from the book of Romans as a springboard for this message. And I've simply titled this message, Conformed. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You and I as Christians tonight have a calling to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, 
to Jesus Christ. In other words, we are called to give ourselves in service to Jesus. And when we stop and think about all that Christ has done for us, all the things, the sacrifice that Christ has done, um, the pain that he endured, the ridicule that he endured, it's completely understandable that Paul uses the word here in verse 1 of reasonable. This is your reasonable service. When you think of all that Christ has done for you as an individual, it only seems reasonable that you would give yourself in service to Jesus Christ. But Paul goes on and he says in verse 2 that we are not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed. In other words, you and I are called to go through a dramatic change to be changed from what we were into what Christ wants us to be. And when you look at the word transformed, the way that Paul is using it is in the same context that we use the word metamorphosis, where something is changed into something else. When you look at a little caterpillar, you don't see a beautiful butterfly. When you look at a tadpole, you don't see a frog. You see something that's completely different. It is completely different properties. It doesn't even resemble what it was before. And when Paul here is, is using this, this word transformed, that's what he's talking about. This change that is, is so complete and so different from what it was before that it's almost unrecognizable. There's been this radical and complete change. A number of years ago, when we were living in Nicaragua, I met a man by the name of Omar. Um, this was up in the up in Waslala. Um, Omar is part of of one of the churches there in the Waslala Christian Brotherhood. And Omar was a very interesting man. And some of you may have heard um, about Omar and his testimony, but Omar was a man who lived in California for a number of years, and while he was there, he was an extremely wicked man. And he was in an ungodly relationship with a woman, and one night, in a fit of rage, he murdered her. And he knew that the only thing that he could do to escape the penalty for what he had done was to flee back to Nicaragua. So he fled back to Nicaragua, went way up into the hills of Nicaragua, and tried to get away from what the mistake that he had made there in California. While he was there in the hills of, of Nicaragua, he came into contact with the people who were part of the church there in Waslala. Through contact that they had with him and their relationship that they had with him, he eventually accepted the Lord and became a Christian. And today, he's part of their church. And I knew before I ever met this man, I knew his backstory and knew what he had done. But when I met Omar and I shook his hand, I would have never guessed that he was the kind of person who would take the life of another individual. I would have never guessed it. And the reason I would have never guessed it was because his spirit was completely different from a person who I would suspect to be somebody who in a fit of rage would actually take the life of another individual. He was soft-spoken. He was gentle. And his, in his eyes, you could see the love of Christ. 
He just didn't look like that kind of an individual. He was a person who, because of his contact with the Holy Spirit, and through allowing the Holy Spirit to come into his life and transform him, was completely different from what he was before. He had been radically changed. He had been through the process of metamorphosis. He had been changed. Now, you and I here tonight, if you're here and you've named the name of Christ, I don't think there's a single person here tonight who has taken the life of another person. One of the pastors in Nicaragua made that statement over the pulpit, and somebody in the back of the church raised their hand and said, actually, I did, because he said he had been part of the war. But I don't think tonight there's anybody here who has taken the life of another person. But it doesn't mean that you haven't been through it. If you are a Christian tonight, it doesn't mean that you haven't been through that same process where your life has been radically changed by your contact with the Holy Spirit and your relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul here tonight is asking us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and allowing the Spirit to come into our life and to change us. When you think about your mind and the amount of information that your mind can process, it's stunning. It's amazing to me when I talk to people who are really, really old or much older than I am, I talk to them and they can relay information about things that happened 60, 70 years ago. That's incredible. Our minds are an incredible tool. But at the same time, our minds, by nature, come pre-wired to do things that are evil. And by nature, our minds tend to focus on evil. And Paul here is talking about this transformation that needs to come through our minds. And there are people today who, by the power of their minds, are led into captivity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says this, "...in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them." In other words, by nature, our minds are controlled by Satan. And there are people who Satan has so much control over that he has actually blinded their minds to the marvelous truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes I look at people who are living in sin and I ask the question, do they really understand the bondage that they're living in? Do they really understand the grip that sin has on them? There was a man in Nicaragua that I would see on a regular basis um, he was often at the, the bus stop in Malpaisio. And he was an extremely dirty man. And every time I saw him, his eyes were completely bloodshot. And all he ever did was he would just shuffle from place to place. I'd see him way across the bus station. He'd come shuffling towards us. And I would, sometimes I would try to say hello to him. And it was like there wasn't even anything there. You look at an individual like that, a person who's in bondage to alcohol, 
And you ask the question, can't they see that there's something better? Can't they see that there's a better way of living? But you see the bondage that Satan has brought them into and how he's holding them captive and not allowing them to see the glorious freedom that's available to them. Instead, he's there, he's holding them and keeping them from seeing how they can really escape. You and I tonight do not need to live under the control of Satan. You and I, those of us who have named the name of Christ, through nothing that we have done, but for the grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, our minds have been broken, cracked open, and we have seen the marvelous power that is made available to us so we can experience transformation. A change that otherwise would never be possible. We can be made, we can be set free, and we can receive something that is way more glorious than anything that was offered to us. Titus chapter 3, verse 5, says this, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Tonight, through the power of the Holy Spirit, by the blood of Jesus Christ, we can be washed, we can be saved, and we can be transformed. We can be set free so we can experience transformation. In the book of Philippians, chapter 2, Paul says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. When we think about being transformed, Paul is saying that we need to have a transformation of our minds. And in Philippians, he says the mind that we need to have in us is the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. Now, what were some of the things that Christ did, or what are some of the points that we see about the mind of Christ that Paul is asking us to have? First of all, when we look at the example of Christ, There's a few things that we need to remember. First of all, Christ was equal with God. He is equal with God, still today. But at the time when He came down to earth, He was equal with God. And He was enjoying the glory of heaven. And it says here that Jesus Christ, even though He was in the form of God, and He was equal with God, made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a man. In other words, he humbled himself, came down to earth, was allowed himself to be put on the same plane as the rest of us, as mankind, to allow himself to die on the cross to save us. 
Christ allowed Himself to be humble. So, you and I can be transformed. When you look at the mind of Christ, we see extreme humility and brokenness. Christ is allowing Himself to be humbled, to come down to earth, to be broken, so you and I can experience what it looks like to be transformed. And our appearance is something that completely changes. In the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 3, verse 18, it says this, But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. If you look at the verses that precede that, it talks about Moses. And when Moses went up onto the mountain to converse with God, when he came down off of the mountain, the Bible says that the face of Moses radiated with such glory that he had to actually veil his face because the people couldn't even look at him. There was something about Moses through his contact with God that just made him radiate glory. But when you look at those verses, the verses that follow that, it talks about how the Jews to this day still have a veil over their heart and Jesus Christ is a stumbling block to them. But it says clearly in verse 16 that when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. In other words, even though their minds could be are covered by this veil, by the power of God, that veil can be lifted. Just like a person whose mind is blinded to the truth of Christ, by the power of God, that veil, that darkness can be taken away. So they can experience this transformation. But the interesting thing is, when you look at these verses and how it's talking about Moses and his glory, glorious face, it's saying that you and I can be changed into that exact same image. In other words, you and I, through transformation, can radiate that same glory that Moses had on his face when he came down off of the mountain. You and I can experience transformation. And when that transformation takes place, there's something that radiates out of us that portrays to other people that we've been in contact with Jesus Christ. There is a glory that they see. I remember one time, we were in Leon, in Nicaragua, and we had spent the day there and we had, we had to go to a number of different shops. And I remember we pulled up to the curb and we parked our truck and a number of the, the ladies that were on the back went into the store. I don't even remember what they were after. But we were sitting there in the truck and I looked up the street and I saw this drunk coming towards us. And he had really long hair. Actually, he kind of looked like a Rasta from, from Grenada. And as I saw him coming towards me, I was like, oh, I know he's going to say something, and I don't, I don't know if I'm really in the mood for it. Um, but he's, he's coming towards us, and he's getting closer, and he's closer. And I'm kind of sitting in the truck, and I'm slouched down just a little bit, so hopefully he doesn't see me. And I remember he's walking towards us, and all of a sudden he's like, looks at me, and I'm like, 
no, I don't, I really don't want to talk to you. And he says, he says this in English. He's like, brother, brother, I love you, man. I love you. And he had this big chain on his, on his neck and he's like pounding this chain against him. He's like, I love you. In the name of Jesus, I love you. And I'm like, okay. And just like that, he threw his head back and he gave this, this laugh that to this day I can still hear. And it was just this laugh of mocking and scorning and just almost hatred. And as he walked on down the street, he just kind of watched me the whole way as he walked on by. And as I sat there, I was thinking, how did he know that I was connected to Jesus Christ? How did that man, through just seeing me, Make the connection to say that I love you in the name of Jesus. Why did he ever say that? And to this day, I don't have an answer. How did that man, who I had never seen in my life, know that I had some kind of connection to Jesus Christ? Could it have been that all of us that were there, including the other people who were on the back of the truck, could it have been that he saw something in us that he identified to be part of Jesus Christ? I don't know. But I would like to believe that that man, when he saw us, knew that we were part of a kingdom that he was not part of. I like to believe that he saw in our faces the glory of Jesus Christ. The glory of an unveiled face where he could see that we had been transformed. Tonight, you and I are living in a world that is trying to push us into their mold. And I remember all the conversations that I had with people in Nicaragua who they would, all, they would come to us and they would say, what do you Christians even do for fun? What do you Christians even do to entertain yourself? Because it looks like you live a boring life. How many of you as Christians are bored? How many of you as Christians aren't happy with the choice that you made to serve Jesus Christ. None of you, right? None of you. When you look at the transformation that takes place in the life of a person and how we reject what the world tells us is going to bring us joy, going to bring us satisfaction, going to bring us some type of entertainment. When you and I look at that as a Christian, we understand the cheapness the, the artificial state that all of that stuff is in and how none of that stuff is ever going to bring us any type of true, meaningful satisfaction or joy or pleasure. We understand that because of the transformation that has happened in our lives. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, Peter says this, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. In other words, when a person chooses to put to death all of the things that they thought would bring them joy and satisfaction, 
they understand that they're making a good choice. And the things that they did before, that followed after their lust, they did those things in ignorance, thinking that somehow those things would bring meaning and definition to their lives. But you and I as Christians understand that that's not what it's about. You and I have been set free. We have been transformed. And all of that takes place as you and I surrender ourselves to the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You and I, as believers, can sense that transformation as we allow the Spirit to work in our hearts and to take out those things that before led us into bondage. Things that took us back into the horror of sin. When I look at the story of Daniel, and I look at his friends, and I look at the transformation that took place in their lives, and how all of them made the choice to stand up for what they believed, you see in their lives a commitment to the choice that they had made. They understood that their lives had been transformed. Now, they didn't have the work of the Holy Spirit, obviously, but they understood that their relationship with God was what defined them and made them who they were. And they said that we're not going to bow down to any type of idol. We're not going to do anything to ourselves that's going to take away from that relationship or break it. Because they valued the transformation that had happened. A couple of months ago, we were in, in Mexico, my wife and I and Jim and Joyce and the senior class from Schaeferstown. And I don't know if you remember Alvino. Um, we met Alvino while we were there. I had not met him when we were in Mexico before. But I remembered the conversation that I had with him, and I was just blessed by talking to him. Um, he was a man who had lived here in the United States illegally um, through a series of events, came in contact with Mennonites in Virginia, became a Christian, felt convicted because he was living here in America illegally and went back to Mexico and is now part of the church um, there in choice. And as I talked to him and I listened to him share his story, it was interesting listening to the progression in his life. And you could, you could see the steps as he came closer and closer and closer to where God was leading him. The transformation that was taking place. Now, there wasn't anybody who had a conversation with him and said, you know, Albino, you're living here in the United States illegally. You really shouldn't be doing that. He reached that conclusion by himself when he became a Christian, opened himself up to the work of the Holy Spirit in his life, allowed himself to be convicted, and he decided that what he was doing wasn't right and he wanted to make it right. And so he made the choice to go back to the country of Mexico. Jew and I tonight have a choice to make. We can choose to take the easy route 
and allow ourselves to be influenced and pushed by what the world deems important, what the world tells us has value, what the world tells us is going to bring meaning to our lives. We can allow those things to influence us or we can take a stand and we can say, I have made a choice. The choice that I have made is that I am going to allow the power of the blood of Jesus Christ to touch my life, to change me, and to make me into something that looks completely different from what I was before. I'm going to be transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. And when you make that choice, It's not going to be easy because the forces of the world are never going to leave. They're always going to be there. They're always going to be pushing on you. They're always going to be trying to influence you. But you have a choice to make tonight. You can say with purpose, I have made my decision. I have made my choice. And no matter what happens, no matter what is influencing my life, no matter what the world is telling me, I'm going to stand by my choice. My choice is that I'm going to do that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, I am going to make the choice to set myself apart as a living sacrifice. I'm going to humble myself, make a choice that to some other people might look ridiculous, to leave behind what to them might look valuable, might look good, to do what I know is the best choice that I can make. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says this, Howbeit for this cause... I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Do we still have Paul's pattern to follow today? Absolutely. When you look at scripture and you look at the story of Paul, Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. The worst and the vilest sinner that ever there was. You look at his life, and when he met Jesus Christ, he was transformed. He made his choice, and he stuck with it. Until this day, we have a pattern that we can follow. You and I, tonight, can be conformed to the image of Christ or we can be conformed to the image of the world. There's only two choices. We can allow ourselves to be transformed or conformed to what the world wants us to be. As you think about your life and you think about the choices that you're making, 
the things that you're allowing to influence you, what is the strongest pull in your life? Is it your choice to be transformed or is it your choice to be conformed to the world's way of thinking? Who is the stronger pull? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, tonight, we acknowledge that without you we would be nothing. God, it is only through the miraculous power of Jesus Christ and his blood that he shed on Calvary that any of us can be transformed. God, you have taken individuals whose lives before were disasters, people who had made a complete wreck of themselves, and through the contact with the Holy Spirit that each of them experienced in their lives, they were transformed and they became something that people didn't even recognize. God, it's glorious. And we thank you tonight that it doesn't matter who we are tonight. It doesn't matter what we have done. It doesn't matter the sin that we have committed. There is nothing that the blood of Jesus Christ can't wash away. And there isn't a single person here tonight who can't experience this glorious transformation that comes through knowing you. God, I pray for each person here tonight. You know the conditions of their heart. Lord, you know where they're at spiritually. You know who has the stronger pull in their life. Lord, you know if they've been listening to the Spirit or if they've been listening to the voice of the world. And God, I just pray tonight that each of us could evaluate ourselves sincerely and think about the voice that we're listening to and what we're allowing to affect us. What we're allowing to mold us. God, may your spirit move here tonight. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you're here tonight and you would like to experience transformation, I invite you to come forward. We're going to sing one verse of song. And if you're here tonight and you would allow to just want to allow yourself to be surrendered to the work of the Holy Spirit, come forward and someone can meet with you.